Well, it's good to be with you once again this Lord's Day, Lord's Day evening. We're going to look at uh, Revelation 2, just verses 1 through 7, looking at the church in Ephesus. So, let us give careful attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy and inspired Word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yes, this you have, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, uh, Nicol, uh, Nicolaitans, which I have also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who all, to the one who conquers, I will grant an ear of the tree of life, to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Um, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, are really overwhelmed by the fact that uh, we can have the scriptures to read. We know that what it cost many people to be able to translate the word of God in English and in German and other languages as a result of uh, a persecution from the church, from the the, uh, the state and other, other such entities, Lord. So tonight, as we read and as we study your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us and in us, uh, teaching us, giving us an ear to hear, and a heart that will really love you, Lord, and keep your commandments. So bless us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think the bulletin said chapters 2 and 3, but we're just looking at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, the church in Ephesus. And, and one of the things that is very clear and very clear from the Scriptures, what is the charge Christ has made against the Ephesian church? And it's this, you have forsaken your first love. Where is your devotion? Where is your loyalty? Where is your affection? So we find in the scriptures this principle, to whom, to whom much is given, much is required. And I think we can say God in his providence gave the church in Ephesus a lot of things, gave them tremendous preachers, and we'll get to them sooner uh, as we go along. But they had the word of God preached to them, taught to them, lived out before them. And so they had a lot, and a lot was required of them, just like us. We have the Word of God. 
We have the Spirit of God. We can read, we can pray, we can, uh, we can worship God in spirit and in truth. And so a lot is required of us as well. And sometimes I'm not sure that we really uh, understand the, the amount that God requires of us in terms of following after Him, following His commandments, doing what He has called us to do. But we need to learn that if we don't already, already know it, and we need to practice that as well. So tonight, as we look, I want us to look at several things. God's favor toward His people, first of all, the change, uh, God's change against the people, and God's promise to those who see uh, the course of life and overcome the temptations not to love Him and serve Him as they once did, as we ought to. So those are the three areas that we'll look at tonight. And, and basically, uh, this is not going to be the normal preaching thing that I would do up in the pulpit. It'll be more of a teaching time. So I trust that we'll learn both in the preaching and the teaching of the Word. Uh, both of those are ordained by God, and we will use them accordingly. So God's favor upon His people. Uh, it was absolutely astounding. When you read uh, at the end of chapter 1, uh, verse Verse 29, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And between the angels and the lampstand, the church themselves, we find that Yahweh, that Jesus Christ is walking amongst them. He's walking amongst the churches there in Ephesus. And I would say, dear folks, that he is walking here tonight because those seven churches are just uh, uh, an example that is given to us. It really is inclusive of all the churches. It's not that Jesus is just walking there in Ephesus or, Ephesus or the other six churches. He is walking here among us. Sometimes we may, may not even think about that. And we also have an angel that is walking among us as well because the angels are certainly prevalent in the scriptures. You, uh, you see them in the Old Testament. You see them ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ after the temptation account. You see them in Hebrews chapter 1 at the end of, end of chapter 1. They're ministering spirits. So there are ministering spirits in the church, angels. There's God himself walking among us in the church. He's here tonight. I don't know if you thought about that. But that's a rather awesome thing to think about. So uh, we are, God is present here with us and, and we need to understand it. He's aware of all of our activities. He's aware of all of our, our lives, even as we came here tonight. He knows what is going on in each one of us because he knows us, he made us, he fills us, he's omniscient, he knows all things. He knows our going out, coming in, rising up, lying down, all the words that we say, everything that we do, this God is sovereign over all and knows all things. Sometimes we think, well, we may be able to hide things from other people and occasionally we may do that. I don't know. Sometimes we, we do that, but we can't hide anything from God. He knows what is in our heart this evening. He knows what we're thinking, and maybe our thoughts are somewhere other than here. Sometimes they, they kind of 
do that sort of thing, but we need to be fully aware that God is among us and the spirit and the, and the, and the, and the, the uh, angels, at least one angel, is here tonight. Uh, one of the things that we certainly see here is that the presence of God may be both comforting and also alarming. It's comforting to know that he is with us and he loves us. He's redeemed us by the blood of his, uh, by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so he's with us. And we read in Leviticus chapter 26, the Lord said, I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. So that's very comforting to know that Jesus is here, that the angel is here, that God is with us and he will be our comfort in life and he will be with us. The distressing thing is if we're unfaithful, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says, is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So in some sense, it's a comfort that he's here. In another sense, unless we're walking with God as best we can under the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, uh, we may find ourselves uh, in, the, in the sight, in the presence of an angry God toward us. So the Word of God, not only was Jesus present with us and the angels, but the Word of God was present there in the church in Ephesus. Ephesus. The Word of God was there. Uh, in terms of Ephesus, it was a very wealthy city. Uh, economically, it was a powerhouse in the area. It came out of the, uh, uh, the Turkish area, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It was along the Aegean Sea. Uh, it was a beautiful place. It was uh, filled with commerce, uh, a lot of wealth, all the things that were going on there. But it was also the place of the Temple of Diana, which was uh, a temple dedicated to, uh, to immoral activities, uh, worshiping idols and those sorts of things. Immorality abounded there. Uh, temple worship uh, and uh, using uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the women of the day to gain pleasure for them and worship idols. But there's, this is here, this is the number of people who were there to help them to begin with. Paul was there in Ephesus uh, for, you know, on his second missionary journey. And when he left there, he left uh, Aquila and Priscilla there to do the discipling and doing the ministry. He, Paul also returned there on his third missionary journey, and he spent three years in Ephesus. Three years. And we'll read about his departure a little bit later in Acts when he left uh, Ephesus and the church there. They also had people like Apollos. They had Timothy, who was the bishop of Ephesus, and the apostle John was also there. Can you imagine what a tree, uh, what, a, what a number of great theologians that they heard and they were taught uh, the gospel and they were taught the word of God. And so they had that. And I think of some of the people today that some of the modern-day theologians, I'd like to sit under their ministry, five or six of them. I won't name them all right now, but can you imagine a, a church that had the experience of all the, the, the wealth and the knowledge and the understanding and the, and the passion for communicating the gospel and the scriptures to the people of God there in Ephesus? They had it. 
they were blessed. To much, uh, to those who received much, much was required. They received the word of God from some of the best preachers ever. And they held on to the truth with tenacity, I think, as a result of that, at least initially. So we find out, Jesus says, I know your works. I know your works. Because Jesus is omniscient. He knows the hard work that these apostles and theologians uh, imputed to the church there in Ephesus. He knew their perseverance. He knew that they were really committed to that, that they were concerned about, about doctrine because doctrine is so important. But you know, doctrine is, is important. It is the foundation. But one of the things that we in the West today, I think need to understand, doctrine is absolutely essential. Orthodoxy is essential. Orthopractice is just as, as orthodoxy. You've got to both know the truth and you've got to practice the truth. You've got to show that the love and your, and your knowledge of the, of, of the Word of God and the wisdom that you have to share. It's not just taking it in and knowing sound doctrine. Knowing the five points of Calvinism is not enough. You've got to take the truth and apply it in everyday life as God gives you an opportunity to do that. They knew doctrine. They were steeped in it. But as we know, there's a warning both for the seven churches there and also for the church today. And the warning, Jesus gives a warning in Matthew chapter 7. He warned the church of false prophets who will come and steal the sheep, but who will inwardly are ravenous wolves trying to destroy the flock. If that's additional light, I appreciate it. <laughs> I do like light. Uh, but so Jesus gives a warning that the, of the false prophets. And I, I would say, as we look around Christendom today, I think we see a lot of false prophets in the churches. Uh, certainly, I think there's some here in Germany, and I know there are a lot in the States. You look at all the uh, particular denominations in the non uh, in the non-denominational churches, and oftentimes the things that are coming out of the pulpit are absolutely contrary to the Word of God. We cannot say it's all right when they teach something that is contrary to the Word of God. It is not. It is bad doctrine. It is not truthful, and we need to call it out for what it is. Uh, and these are these are false prophets, and we need to. When we go into a church, I think not here, you've had two pastors that are really solid, and you've got another one who's coming, who knows the scriptures, who will preach the word of God and guard the flock. But in other places, you have to be careful. If you move somewhere else, like a lot of American military families do, they need to be careful in terms of choosing where they worship because false teachers are everywhere. And Paul, Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 also warns the Ephesian elders, and I, that's a, a very passionate part of the scriptures because Paul is leaving. He's been there on that third missionary journey for, for three years. They, he's come to know them and to love them. They love him, 
And as he's getting ready to depart, they're weeping over him because they love him so much. He's fed them the word of God. He's loved them. He's cared for, cared for them. He's ministered to them in so many different ways. And so he's leaving. And here they are, the elders. And Paul is there, and they're weeping because he's going. And one of the last things he says to them, be careful, false, false teachers will come. They'll be wolves seeking to devour you. And uh, that, that happens. But there were a lot of challenges for these elders because the elders really, I think, for their lifetime, really did a pretty doggone good job keeping the doctrine solid in the church. But they were faced with all sorts of uh, attacks. One of those would be from the uh, uh, Jewish folks that lived in the area, those who denied that the Messiah had come, denied Jesus, and anyone who was following Jesus was, uh, was a threat to them. And, uh, and so they took out their dislike upon the church. You also have another group that made these silver shrines, and you can read about that uh, in Acts as well. They, they made these silver sh uh, shrines, and, and they, were, they were idols, and they were taken to the temple, uh, Diana, uh, Diana. I think I got that right, Diana, and, and worship there along with the immorality that took place there and all the other things that took place. And so they, there's another situation that they came to the church and tried to disrupt the church and the elders stood firm. They stood firm against that. And then there's another group of people that came their way. Uh, those who uh, wanted uh, to get rid of the, uh, who wanted to return the ceremonial laws to the church. And in a sense, when they wanted to return the ceremonial laws to the church, what they were doing is denying the atoning work of Jesus Christ. So those are three, one, uh, three uh, areas that were challenges for, for the elders there to keep the church in, in good uh, hands. But there was a fourth group, the Nic Nicolaitans, and they were people who wanted to get rid of the moral law. They wanted all restraints moved from them. They, they wanted to exercise their immorality wherever and whenever they had an opportunity to do it. They wanted to, to, in a sense, make the society and the church one, that all would practice the same thing, that the church would turn away and begin to be an immoral group of people and, and things like that. So those Nicolaitans were, were really... Uh, uh, really a tough group to deal with, but they kind of followed after Balaam in the Old Testament. I, I'm not sure, probably you know the story of Balak and, and uh, the Moabites and Balaam. And Balak, the king of the Moabites, wanted to hire Balaam to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel as they were coming to the, to the promised land. But every time he would try to pronounce a curse on them, uh, God would speak through him a blessing on the people. And finally, Balaam comes to Balak, the king of the Moabites, and he says, this is the way that you can turn the Israelites away from Yahweh worship. You can get the men to intermarry with the women, the Moabite women, and eventually they will, their, their commitment to Yahweh will be diminished and they will begin worshiping the gods of the Moabites. And that happened. And it also happened in, in Solomon. If you read the, uh, 
Ecclesiastes, uh, the number of wives that Solomon had and concubines that Solomon had, what, what he did, they were not all Israelite women. They were women from all these other tribes and nations, and they would bring their practices of religion into the Jewish community, into the Israelite community, and therefore diffuse, as it were, uh, the, uh, the truth of the scriptures. So, uh, Nicola, uh, so that particular group was also a thorn in the side of the elders of the church. So they were, they were being bombarded by these four groups of people. And what we find out about the uh, elders, they stood. They stood for good biblical theology. They didn't give in to the practices of those four groups of people. In fact, it says that they protected the church so much and, and insisted on correct doctrine that they worked so hard that they came to the point of exhaustion. You know, it's hard sometimes working as a leader in the church. It's hard on pastors. It's hard on elders. It's hard on deacons. There's a lot of things to do, and there's a lot of forces out there under the, uh, under the influence of the evil one, and those forces are trying to change the doctrine of the church and trying to lessen its impact upon society, trying to stifle our voice in this society and in all societies. There's a great effort afoot even today to do that, to silence us. They don't want us to preach the gospel. They don't want us to make disciples. They want to make it neutral. They want to live their life. They don't want to be called to repentance and faith. They don't want to be called to a change of life. They want to enjoy their fleshly desires, and they don't want any interference from the church. So the elders, you had to commend them. They really fought hard to the point of exhaustion. I could probably ask a couple of elders here or others, uh, deacons, and I, I look around this church and I, I say you work hard. You give time and energy. Sometimes you, you're away from your family. You do, do those things, and you do that for the church, for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his kingdom. And I believe God will bless you as a result of that, but you do work hard and uh, in protecting the body of Christ. You, you have a responsibility. I, I see at least one elder here tonight, and he works hard. And I see the deacons, and I know you work hard. I, I, would, I get tired of just seeing you take up the chairs and put the, put the tables out and open the, open the place and get it set up for worship. You're, you're, you're serving the church and you're working hard. Keep the faith. Make sure the doctrine is always biblical. And also make sure the practice is biblical. Make sure that people see our love and our commitment to them when they walk through the door. I know here, I've seen you, the way that you embrace people as they come in. Keep doing that. People want to know that they're loved. They want to know that they're in a safe place. They want to know that they may be able without any interference, to hear the Word of God unashamedly preached and taught in this congregation. Keep strong. 
So, God, God's charge against the people. It's all been very positive, but this is what he says. I have this against you. You have left your first love. Their love, their loyalty, and affection for Christ is waning. You've probably seen that if you've been around very long. I've seen that. I, I was saved in a church. I've pastored three churches. Uh, I, I'm in one right now, and I still go out occasionally preaching at, at places outside of Montgomery, Alabama. And you, you see that, that enthusiasm that once was a part of their life. Perhaps they, I trust, had come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and they were just in, enthralled about the things that God was doing and the things that God would do and what the church was doing. They were growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But after a while, sometimes the routine becomes just routine, and that passion that you had when you first came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's waned to some degree. That's a danger sign, a very dangerous thing. And, and Jesus, who is walking among them, sees it. And the angel sees it. And, 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 and so that is the charge that he has. Their love, their loyalty, their affection, their is all waning. It's not what it once was. One commentator wrote this. It's sort of like a, a husband and wife that have been together for a long time, years upon years upon years. And they're faithful to one another, but at the same time, maybe over the course of 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, or even 60 years, maybe that, that passion of being together and, and loving one another, that love is still there, but it's waned a little bit along the way. And that's something that we all have to guard against if we're married, that we keep loving, and that love is an intense love. It's a love committed for a lifetime, whether it's 10 years or 70 years. And there's another example. Similarly, a church member may come regularly to attend services, but sometimes they're not as devoted as they once were to the Lord. And so perhaps regularly, but maybe not all the time, maybe they could come or not come, and it may not impact them. But if it does, we know that something is wrong in their life. If they're Christians, this is the place to come. It says, I think in Hebrews chapter 10, don't forsake the assembling, come together so that you may encourage one another to love and to good deeds. If you're not here regularly, you cannot encourage one another to love and good deeds. If you're a member of the church and you're not here regularly, it's discouraging rather than encouraging. The church is to, is to worship God, but it's to encourage the fellow believers to, to, to encourage them to love and to good deeds in the body of Christ and then going out from the body of Christ to the world.
There's a passage in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, and we read, I read this to you. And he uses the word remember. I don't know if you know how many times. I looked it up, so I know how many times remember is used in the scriptures. 250 times, if Google is correct. 250 times the Lord is saying to us, remember, remember from whence you came. Remember the love that you had for Jesus. Remember your commitment to his church. Remember. In fact, uh, Jeremiah in uh, chapter 2 says, remember the devotion of your youth. How as a, as a bride you loved me and followed me. You can imagine. Look at the time that you were first married, perhaps a couple of years or five or six years, and oh, the, 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 the passion was there. You just couldn't wait to be together. You wanted to eat together. You wanted to talk together. You wanted to be together all the time. But the longer you are married, perhaps it dissipates a little bit. And we have to be careful about that. And we need to be careful about our attention in terms of members of the body of Christ. That passion needs to be with us as long as we have life and breath in our bodies. It is a church. It is the people of God redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is there. It is there we are fed and cared for. In many cases, I'm just going to share one. This is not in my notes. My wife and, my, and our family has been I've been loved by my family, my natural family. But you know the people who have loved me more and us more? The body of Christ. Oh, if I had time and you'd bear with me, I could share you a lot of things that the love of the body of Christ has shown toward us. And it's the people for whom Christ died. We're, we're in union with one another and we have communion with one another because we're in union with Christ so remember when you were first married the passion the love the commitment and renew it often so the passage set for us the love and devotion that Israel had for its Redeemer has waned a bit. It's ebbed. It's not what it once was. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, warning them of false teachers coming in, when he left, that church was very much alive, committed to, to good, solid, biblical doctrine, and practicing that uh, doctrine as well in terms of the orthopractice of our Christian life. But after about 30 years, the Apostle John comes there. The church is different. It's not what it was when Paul was there. And that's not the first time that it happened. One of my, it's not a favorite part of it. It's kind of depressing, really. But when, when the people were brought out of slavery in Egypt, they there, there was a passion. They were following Yahweh uh, and going into ultimately into the promised land. And then God raises up uh, Joshua to lead them into the promised land. 
and you read about that in Joshua, how they came into the promised land and how they lived. And then you come to Judges in chapter 2. It said a generation grew up that neither knew God nor the things of God. We're just one generation away from people leaving the people of God. Changing their worship. Changing their commitment to the church. One generation in Joshua and one generation in Ephesus. What does it say to us? It says we need to make sure that we train our children. We can't just say that they're children of the covenant, but we need to live our lives out before our children as if they're seeing Jesus Christ. We need to love them with a, with a, a deep and abiding love. We need to teach them we, as, as they walk along the way. I know uh, recently and uh, had the privilege of being around our young, not our youngest grandson. Yes, yes, he is our youngest grandson, come think of it. But he was young when we were in Tennessee and, and we'd go walking in the neighborhood and I'd hold his hand and I'd t point to the skies and say, you know, God made the, the beauty of the skies and the trees and, and all the things that, that, that God is working in, in, in our family. And, and I wanted him to know that I, I loved him. I wanted to communicate something of God to him in his simple understanding of a life. I wanted to know. I wanted him to know that he was valuable. That he was an image bearer of God. That God knit him together while he was in his mother's womb. And we, we need to teach our children and our grandchildren uh, to follow after the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, they need to see us doing it consistently. Not just when we feel like it, but consistently. I told, I told my brother, I said, brother, the best legacy that you can leave your children and your grandchildren is a legacy that you love Jesus and that you show them your love for Jesus in very practical ways consistently worshiping and serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But Jesus calls the church to remember. Remember the earlier days. Memory is a very important thing. And a couple of things, the prodigal son, uh, when he left and he spent all of his money, all of his inheritance, he remembered something. I can go home. I can go home. Memory is a very important thing that God has given to us, and we need to remember uh, our commitment to God and serve Him and do it with a degree of fervency and passion and need to, to see our love and remember the works that we did when we were first saved and not grow weary in doing those good works that God has ordained for us. Or else... Or else, that candlestick will be removed. The church will be removed. There's a church here today, and we trust it will be here for a long time, if not in this particular facility, and one that you will buy one day that will be yours, that that church will be true to the Word of God for the rest 
of the time until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again so that people will come into that church, they will hear the gospel, they will be challenged to live a God-honoring life. And, and we pray that that would be the case. But if we don't do that, if we don't guard solid doctrine and practice it, the lampstand will be removed from us. It will be a judgment on us, but it will be a blessing to where that lampstand is planted in another location. Jesus will be work, walking among them there, but he will no longer be here. So it's a judgment and also a blessing to those who receive that lampstand. The angel will no longer be among the people of God. So, don't let our love and commitment diminish. I say that to elders because God says it to me and to elders and to all of us. If you've been changed and saved by a sovereign and a holy God who called you from before the foundations of the world. Keep that passion. Keep that zeal. Know him and make him known wherever you go. Uh, the Spirit of God is speaking to the churches here. And this is what he is saying. To those who overcome, to those who do not, do not give in, to those who overcome, who remain steadfast, who will hold to sound doctrine, who will not eat the meat offered to idols, who will abstain from uh, fleshly desires of the world, who will not be involved in fornication, but will love God, he shall return and come and take us and be able to eat with, of the tree of life in the new heavens and the new earth. That will be our inheritance. Our inheritance is an eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ in the new heavens and new earth. We will enter paradise, a place where we will find rest for the rest of our for the rest of eternity, and we will enjoy the fellowship of a sovereign and a holy God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, forever and ever and ever. Hold on! Don't give up. What happened to the church in Ephesus? It's not there today. It's not there. The lampstand is gone. There's hardly any churches, very few churches, in modern-day Turkey. We don't want to repeat that in our age. This is what Paul said, and I'll close here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith enough to move mountains, but have not love, what does he say? I am nothing. It's not just knowing sound theology. Uh, I, I named the church I served in Lonsdale Trinity Reformed Presbyterian Church. I wanted people to know that we're reformed, but I didn't want to beat them over the head with that. 
I wanted them to come into the church. I wanted them to learn from the scriptures. I wanted them to know the scriptures. I, I, I didn't preach. Okay, today it's the five points of Calvinism. I preached the word of God. I wanted them to love Christ. I wanted them to love the church. I didn't want them to, I wanted to, them to love, love Reformed theology, but I didn't want that to be a banner above all the other banners. I wanted them to love Christ and his kingdom. And I wanted it to be open to all people. Most of the people that came into the church there were not Reformed church, they were not, they were not Reformed people. But most of them, when they left, they were Reformed. Not because I beat them over the head with it, because I loved them and I taught them the Word of God, that they might understand the Word of God themselves. Yes, we had lessons, we had men's groups, women's groups, we had all those things, but I wanted them to be taught because I know if they're taught by the Holy Spirit, it will take root and it will never leave them. If they embrace it because I said something, it's not going to last very long. But when the Word of God is taught and preached and God is pleased to apply it to a heart's mind, it will last forever. I wasn't planning on preaching tonight. But when Nathan gave me a little light, <laughs> I thought I could see my notes. It might be helpful. Anyway, I, I, I am through for the evening. But I want you to know, I've only been here for a short period of time. But I'll say this to you. I have come to love you in a very short period of time. And the thing that will last forever is our love in Jesus Christ. So, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for another day and what a fitting way to in the Lord's Day, among the people of God, uh, the weather is not very good outside, and it's dark, and it's sometimes a challenge to get places. But we thank you that you have brought these saints to the church tonight, that we've been able to, to sing to your glory and to your praise, that we've been able to pray with confidence as we come to the throne of grace, that we've been able to read your word and hear the warnings from your word, but also to see the blessings that abide upon us when we are faithful and true followers of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, promise, we pray that you would keep us steadfast, that your spirit would be working in us in such a wonderful way that we will never grow tired of reading and studying the word of God and worshiping with the people of God so that we can encourage one another to love and to good deeds and that we can keep running the race that you've marked out for us and that we will do the things that you have ordained for us to do and we will not complain because you are such a marvelous, wonderful, loving, giving, gracious God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.